Thank you for listening to the Writers Guild of Alberta podcasts. The following episode was recorded in 2020 as part of the WGA's online reading series, sponsored by the Rosé Foundation. The audio quality may differ from recording to recording. We want to thank the authors and hosts for their permission to share these audio-only episodes with you, and thank the Rosé Foundation again for their generous support. Yeah, you kind of miss out on that part, don't you? What's your name? Who do you want me to write it out to? Oh, I love that. Well, yeah. yeah, I've gotten to send some in the mail and, and sign some, and then um, I'll just tell the story. Uh, yes, so please do. I hadn't actually seen the book on a shelf anywhere, like in a store, which was like with my other books, I'd seen them on shelves. It's like exciting to see your, your book in a store. It's just a kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. So I usually stop uh, shop at Independence, but I had to go into chapters to get something that was in stock. So I went and picked it up and I was like, I'm just going to check if they have Mad Cow. <laughs> so I looked on the shelf and there was one copy and I went, what? <laughs> and I want you to turn it out. <laughs> no, I, I, I walked up to the till and I said to the woman, you just made, I'm wearing a mask still, of course. And I'm just like, you made my day. My book is here. I haven't seen it. And she's like, well, do you want to sign it? And I said, yes. And this is a Sharpie and I got to walk up to the till and I wrote my name on this page in Sharpie. And then she said, well, we'll put a signed by author sticker and put it back on the shelf. Nice. That That must've felt really good. It did. It was like a little bit of joy and like, just, you know, um, launch. (laughs) And so what month was that then? That was just like, I think a couple of weeks now. Oh, Okay. Oh, so Jason's like, you're live now. <laughs> we should, I should introduce um, you and let everyone know what is happening tonight. Um, thank you to everyone for joining us. Um, I'm, I'm going to look at my laptop camera here. Thank you to everyone for joining us tonight. Um, we have a special event planned for you. Alexis Kinlan is reading from her new novel, Mad Cow, which was just released. What what month was it technically released, Alexis? April. April. Okay, so it's brand spanking new, hot off the press. So um, the event's gonna run for about 45 minutes tonight. Uh, Alexis is gonna read, we're gonna have a conversation. There's gonna be time at the end for you guys to ask questions, but feel free to type them in as we go. And um, what else? I guess I just want to thank the Writers Guild of Alberta for organizing this. Thank you to Jason for all his hard work getting us all sorted. and thank you, of course, to Alexis for joining us tonight. Uh, my name is Ann Logan. I am a local Calgary book reviewer, and uh, I was also uh, present at the Writers Guild for a short time. So uh, it's so great to reconnect with you guys. Um, tonight, we are going to be hearing from Alexis Kindlin, who has published her debut novel, Mad Cow, with Now or Never Publishing. Um, Alexis currently lives in Edmonton, but grew up in Saskatoon. She holds an honors degree in international studies from the University of Saskatchewan, a graduate diploma in journalism from Concordia University, and a certificate in food security with a focus on urban agriculture from Ryerson University. She has published two books of poetry, She Dreams in Red and 13, both with Frontenac House. She's also published a biography of Sikh civil activist, She currently works as an agricultural journalist with Alberta Farmer Newspaper. Prior to this, she was a reporter for the Grand Prairie Daily Herald Tribune and the Wainwright Review. 
From 2001 to 2006, she was the literary editor for Rice Paper, a magazine that celebrates Asian Canadian arts and culture. Is that is that accurate? Because I cobbled your bio together from a few different sources. It's all accurate. It sounds okay, like good. a lot of stuff when you say it all like that, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's been busy. <laughs> Um, so before we really dive into our conversation, why don't you give everyone a brief synopsis of Mad Cow? Okay, so Mad Cow um, is a book that takes place in outside or in a town, unnamed town in rural Alberta. Um, it's told by two perspectives. So we get the young perspective, which is Allison Clausen. Um, she's 14. She lives in, she, she hates living in a rural community. Um, the other perspective is her mother, Donna, um, who is, who's from Saskatoon, but fell in love with a rancher named Gord and moved to this small town. Um, what happens is that uh, Mad Cow comes, this is based on true events, that uh, a mad, an, um, mad uh, cow with a bovine spongiform encephalopathy was found in Northern Alberta. So they shut the borders down um, and which meant that uh, cattle could not be shipped to the United States. Um, Canadian cattle are so dependent on, or Canadian ranchers are so dependent on, Amer on American cattle that this was catastrophic. Um, and so what happens in the novel, I don't want to give away too, too many plot points, but it, it does uh, reflect what did happen at that time. There was divorces, there was marital discord, there was a lot of problems and a lot of hardship that affected generations. Um, I think we lost a ton of cattle producers who left the industry. Um, mm -hmm. Those are the kind of, I guess, that's not really the synopsis, that's the feeling behind the book. But my idea when I wanted to write the book was just to talk about how families were affected by this BSE and what it did to the Alberta family farm, because I felt like the story hadn't been told. And um, I really wanted to share that personal story. So I did that through the fictionalization of the Claussen family and basically what they go through during mm -hmm. that time period. So now, as, as I mentioned in your bio, you're an agricultural journalist. And I'm curious what your background is because... Um, and I know readers do this and authors hate it when readers do this, but I was wondering, is the character of Allison based on you as a teenager? Did you um, grow up in a rural area? Did you hate living in a rural area? Because you live in Edmonton now, right? You're in an urban center. Um, but tell us a little bit about how Allison, the character, came to be, if there's any similarities between her and you. Um, okay, so... It there, I did not grow up in a small town. I grew up in Saskatoon. So right, yeah, yeah, about 250,000. So I had never lived a rural experience. Um, but the character of Allison, I do relate to the bookishness, the not understanding, like other people want to go to parties and get drunk. And I was always like, why do you want to do that? Why don't you <laughs> just want to like go to an arts event or like watch a movie or like talk about some cool books? You know, Stuff like that. So that kind of stuff I definitely related to. Um, I also, I love young adult fiction. Mm. Um, I've read a lot of it. I taught a teen writers group for a few years. I really like teenagers. Um, 
And I think I kind of wanted, when I was thinking about writing the book, I wanted that younger voice in there of like the, what is happening to my family? Mm -hmm. I don't really think that aside from the like extreme bookishness, I don't really, I, Allison was not like, it's, it's just, she's not really based on me. No, Mm. that's interesting. I I haven't been asked that question before. Oh, really? (laughs) Um, So so how, how did you get into agricultural journalism uh, Um, as a writer? Well, I had a journalism degree. And so my first journalism job was in Wainwright and they, I did some farming stuff there and then I did some internships. So I went and I lived in with the Canadian Cooperative Association. So I went and I lived in Indonesia and then I lived in Mongolia, which is about as rural as you can get. <laughs> and then I like lived in Vancouver for a couple of years and then I couldn't get a job in Vancouver. So I got hired at the Grand Prairie Daily Herald Tribune to work for a paper called the Peace Country Sun. And that um, they wanted me to do agriculture. They're like, well, you've done a little bit of agriculture because you've lived in Wainwright. So you do not want to do some agriculture. And then in 2008, for example, I, the, the uh, Canadian Cooperative Association had, we're going on a rural trip to the Philippines and you'll be looking at some farms. We could take a journalist. And I was like, I emailed, this is really, really ballsy. I emailed and I was like, I'm a journalist. I could be available. So I ended up doing it and looking at going to all these farms in the Philippines. And then when my current job came up, it was like, okay, well, I'd like to move to a bigger center. I can focus on agriculture. I can work from home. Okay. And then I just sort of got really more interested in agriculture. Hmm. And also there was a lot of things that I, um, people started asking me to freelance for them. And there was agriculture publications that were like, hey, can you write for us? Or people would just contact me and there one time like the, someone from the Edmonton Economic Development Corporation contact me and they're like, hey, we'll pay you like X amount of money. It was a good amount of money to write this article about the beef industry in Alberta. So it just kind of came, but it became a passion. And if you told me like 20 years ago or if I was in high school that I would be passionate about agriculture, I would have laughed because <laughs> I think myself as a I was a completely urban person, Hmm. but now I have a passion for agriculture and agricultural journalism is what gave me that passion. But Hmm. it's also taken me to, um, there's an organization called the International Federation of Agricultural Journalists. Like there's international agricultural journalists all over the world. Hmm. So we have a guild called the Canadian Federation, Canadian Farm Writers Federation, but that we meet and everyone hangs out. And then there's International Federation of Agricultural Journalists. And I've gone, I've gone to Sweden and to South Africa for, for trips, for bursaries that I got as an agricultural journalist. And then wow. I could look at agriculture in Sweden and South Africa. And if you're somebody who has an international studies degree, which is what I studied in university, most people think I have an, I'm an English major, but I'm actually not. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was really exciting. So, I mean, yeah, there is like when the pandemic started, I was really busy because I was writing all these stories. I think this was also my way of coping. I was writing all these stories about the food, the food chain and the food supply and like what was happening with, were we going to run out of flour? I never once thought we were because I called up the head of the Miller's Association and said, what's happening? Are we going to, you know, and I knew like, so I just, it was, it's something that is really interesting and it's something that you can see every day and not a lot of people understand. Mm-hmm. Really long uh, and I think you're right. Like the pandemic 
you know, especially at the beginning when people were like ripping stuff off grocery shelves, really had, you know, raised this heightened awareness in everyone's mind. Like, what about the farmers? <laughs> you know, like everyone started really thinking where our food was coming from. And, you know, it's not coming from the grocery shelf. It's actually coming from the farmers. It's coming from China. In some cases, it's coming from all over the world. And now that these, you know, yeah. Um, so, well, I'll, I'll stop talking. Why don't you, do you want to do a little reading from, from your book now? And then we can talk some more. Okay. I'm just going to mute myself and turn off my camera. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. So what we're going to start with is, um, it's kind of about, I guess, near the middle of the book, um, chapter 10. And so there's lots of, um, when I was writing this book, I tried to throw in a lot of things that people had told me had happened or like small town things or events that happened during BSC. So this um, chapter is um, told from Donna's perspective. Um, other characters that are, there's gonna be a lot of characters, sorry. Um, there's Gord is her husband and Clay is her son. So I'll just start reading now. The town stampede parade was held two days after grad. The night before the parade, Gord asked Clay if he was willing to move back to the farm for the summer. <clears throat> I could really use your help, Gord said. Donna, Gord, and Clay were sitting in the family room. Gord leaned back in his lazy boy, waiting for his son's response, showing the same kind of nerves and anticipation as a romantic lead asking a lady on a date. Donna sat beside Clay on the couch. The TV was on, but no one was watching it. I can't, Clay said. I have things to do in the city. He'd gotten a good job at the university farm for the summer, helping out with dairy experiments. I'm sorry, Dad, Clay said, but it's about the money. You can't pay me, can you? I need that money for school. Gord stared at his hands. You can't afford it, can you? Gord shook his head. We're not doing so hot, he mumbled. I wish I could help you, but the money I can make in the city is just too good for me to pass up right now, Clay said. He walked over to stand next to his father. It's not your fault. I don't blame you. Gord looked so small and broken next to Clay. Was Clay still growing? Could you get taller in your mid-twenties? Was Gord already starting to wither and fade? Donna was afraid and she wasn't sure why. Gord reached for the remote and turned the TV on, ending the conversation. Clay left the room without saying anything. Gord started flicking through channels and his eyes glazed over. Donna hated it when people skipped channels, but she said nothing. The stress was getting to Gord. He was trying to run the farm without Al and Abby and dealing with the financial pressure, what he would do next and where the money would come from. The family hoped Abby would return to her regular self <clears throat> and magically appear as the person she had been before the accident, but this was not happening. She just wanted to stay in her room and stare out the window. Gord had taken to walking the fields, studying the cows. For the millionth time, Donna wished she was a better farm wife and could help. At least school was out and Linda would be around more. Colton hadn't been much help lately. He was getting more hours at the auto shop, which was good. He had barely been at home. Donna suspected he was shacking up with Lily. She needed to talk to Gord about giving Colton a boot since he wasn't contributing to the house at all. He just came through the house like a tornado, making messes and scavenging through the fridge. He was old enough to move out. Clay had been out of the house by the time he was 19. Colton was almost now almost as old as she was when she'd gotten pregnant with Clay. Donna would have to talk to Gord before she told Colton he had to leave, and he, she wasn't ready to have that conversation. 
Gord flipped past a cooking show and some music videos before landing on Paul Newman's face. Ooh, HUD, Donna exclaimed. The enthusiasm in her voice made Gord stop changing channels. They watched a few minutes of the movie. Then Donna remembered HUD's plotline. It wasn't just about hunky Paul Newman and his white undershirt. It was a movie about cattle, specifically about the death of cattle and the fall of a patriarch. In one of the movie's most disturbing scenes, the rancher, after killing his cattle because they were sick with hoof and mouth disease, crawled along a gravel road through dust and dirt. We don't have to watch this, she said. You can change the channel. But you love Paul Newman, Gord said without looking at her. Doesn't matter. Change the channel. Pam would be arriving tomorrow to attend Stampede. She hadn't been for a visit for a while and said she wanted to come by and see everyone. Donna suspected that she wanted to see how everyone was doing. If money's tight, Pam said during their weekly phone call, you don't even have to ask. I'll help you out in any way that I can. No, Donna said. We can't take anything from you. Don't mention it again. But money was tight. A couple days before grad, she'd come downstairs to see Gord, who had never worked off the farm in the entire time she had known him, looking through the classified ads in the newspaper. He sat at the kitchen table, hunched over the paper, his movements furtive as if he was afraid someone was going to catch him. Donna suggested that he ask Craig if anyone needed help with carpentry work, but Gord shook his head. I can't go piggybacking on Craig, he said. So what are you going to do, she asked. I'm looking at patch jobs, he said. Maybe there's something there. Maybe one of those guys knows of something. I'll have to ask. But I thought it would be easier to go to the papers first. He sighed and ran his hands through his hair. It stuck straight up on his head. He touched the stubble on his chin. I'm not sure what I can do, he said. Would an employer hire some old guy like me when they can hire some kid? He looked down. I'm not even sure how that would work anyway. How would I go to work when I have to do things around the farm? What about trucking, Donna asked. Craig's done it. Didn't Phil Hill do it? Gord leaned over the table, propping his head up as if it was too heavy to lift. Lift. The thing is, Donna, the trucking industry is hurting too. The cattle business is slowing everything down. There probably aren't any trucking jobs. The border closure was affecting everyone differently. The Hills had sold some of their cattle during the drought last year, so they had fewer cattle and were going, doing okay. Because prices were so low and the markets weren't moving fast, a lot of the people were planning on keeping their cattle instead of selling them. They had no way to get any money. The government still hadn't figured out some any sort of aid package. Everyone was still waiting. The whole, this whole thing is a mess, Gord said. The only time I really feel okay is when I'm out in the yard with the cows. I'll just put my head down, do what I'm supposed to do, and forget about all this nonsense. After Gord went to bed that night, Donna confronted Clay in his bedroom. I'm worried about your dad, she confided, whispering so Gord couldn't hear. She closed Clay's bedroom door behind her and the door to the master bedroom was closed but she was still paranoid i know clay said i wish i could come home and help he said but dad can't give me any money and my summer job is a really good opportunity and i don't want to lose my place arjun would never be able to find a roommate on such short notice she looked at her son she wished she could stay home too it's not your fault she said but can you come and visit more help out relieve some of the stress clay nodded he stood up from his bed where he had been sitting, playing solitaire on his laptop. I'll try to do what I can, Clay said. It'll be okay, Mom. He stood up and gave everyone a and gave her a hug. She let him. When had he become the one to reassure her? And even though he said that everything would be okay, she strongly suspected that it wouldn't. They'd been trading water, treading water for months now. Thank God they'd made it through winter to the summer. 
things could only get better. Okay, I actually, um, I'm going to stop reading now, but I actually started reading at the wrong spot, so I just read like a short section. So my apologies there. There's lots of for us to talk about. Thank you for that reading. Um, and for anyone just tuning in now, um, my name's Ann Logan, and I am in conversation with Alexis Kinlan, who has just released her debut novel, Mad Cow, which you just read from. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. um, make sure that you guys go out and buy this book. I read it in two days. I absolutely loved it. Um, I know nothing about farmers or Alberta beef or the mad cow crisis. Um, and I, I felt like I learned about it, but not in a boring way, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, Alexis, her characters are just so absorbing and I didn't want to leave this family because I was just so, um, I was just so taken by them. So uh, your your characterization was just um, was just fabulous, Alexis. I really enjoyed following along with this family. And Donna and Allison are our narrators, as you mentioned. Um, mental health is a really huge theme in this book, um, and you could probably already tell that just by Alexis's short reading there. Um, and of course, today is World Suicide Prevention Day. So, um, Alexis, if you wanted to just talk a little bit about why you wanted to focus this book on mental health and, you know, are there things that we need to know that us urbanites need to know as farmers that maybe we're not aware of? Um, just talk to us a little bit about, about why you included mental health as a major theme. Well, mental health was, was always going to be a major theme in this book. Um, I personally have had a lot of struggles with, with depression and um, it's been a reoccurring problem in my life. Um, but one of the things like when I was researching this book, I researched by talking to a lot of ranchers and a lot of farmers and someone said, I can tell you that what this, what mad cow like BSC did to me and I could see what it did to my family and what it did to my kids. Um, and so I really, that was what I wanted to focus on was what it did to the families. And um, in the past few years in agriculture, there has been a huge push to talk about mental health and uh, suicide prevention. Um, there's a lot of foundations. Do More Ag is one that started in, in years to try and connect people in rural communities with um, with help. Because the thing in rural communities is, and, and, and it's shows in the novel, there's a whole buck up, cowboy up. You got to just shoulder through you can't talk about your problems. And there's been a lot of farmers that have been recently talking about their problems. A couple of years ago, this farming couple from Saskatchewan made a video um, talking about uh, their anxiety and depression. And it went viral and it got people talking. Um, so there is a lot of movement in the farm community to talk about mental health now because there is a high suicide rate among farmers because the job is very stressful. Mm -hmm. Things in turn you get hail and your crop is gone. Um, before the video turned on, I was telling Anne about um, during COVID, there was a livestock crisis when Cargill shut down. That's horrific for many reasons. The whole situation with sick workers was horrific. But the other end of that is that the cattle were not getting pushed through. So they were backing up, um, creating a backlog that was pretty much hitting everybody else in the system. 
So, I mean, that caused an unbelievable amount of stress. Um, one of the things they had, the Canadian cattlemen's had like town halls, like virtual town halls, mental health number at the top. So people would be, and as I was saying to Anne again in our chat before, um, in 2003, during BSE, people were not having the mental health conversations that they're having now. So I don't know. It just, it was, it was really important to me to, to have that. But I think like maybe in anything I write, there will be a mental health component. I'm not sure. I'm working on something right now and it has a mental health issue too. <laughs> oh, cool. So I was going to ask you, are you writing right now? Are you working on another book or what are you working on aside from your day job? Yeah. Well, my day job has been very busy and then I just had a lot of different things that I've been asked to do. So, um, I, I took some time off and then I, like, um, I was researching another book, but then when the pandemic hit, I realized that I cannot go to the archives of Saskatoon, Saskatoon and, uh, Saskatchewan provincial archives and do some of the playing in there that I want to do. So I was like, I can't do that project right now. <laughs> Someone had asked me if I wanted to do a modern novel, and I said yes, and I talked about an idea that I had had, and so now that is what I'm working on. Um, mm -hmm. It's a five-voice modern novel with five women. So I've written about 50 pages so far, and it is my COVID project because when I'm writing it, I don't have to think about the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think something and have fun. So, yeah. Because with this book, I stressed myself too much, and I didn't go, like, I really took it really seriously, and I I didn't write it in the healthiest way. And so mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm wanting with my next book to be a healthier writer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, okay. I don't, and I don't, I don't know if you intended this, if I'm perhaps the only person who sees this parallel, this could be really obvious or way out, way out there. But um, I felt like people in the, in Alberta's oil and gas industry could really relate to this book in a way, because um, it, they, a lot of people in the oil and gas industry probably right now feel like they're being vilified or that their product isn't making it to market and, you know, they're looking for support from the government. It's a crisis for them. Um, you know, the, the same way in your book, they have the I Love Alberta Beef stickers. Now we have the I Love Alberta Oil and Gas, right? Um, so I, I saw a lot, of, a lot of parallels there. And I'm wondering if you intended that, if you, if you see these parallels in the two industries, um, is this, do you think this is something, am I way off here? <laughs> you know, the other thing is that, that that wasn't intentional. I totally see it. Um, I have a friend who works in the oil and gas. I actually, like, I live in Alberta and I've lived here for like 14 years, I think now. But I don't actually know a ton about oil and gas. <laughs> but, I, um, but I do see the parallels because I... I I do see vilified. I do see like wanting to survive. I do see like the boom and bust cycle. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting too. Cause like also during the, at this book in 2003, that would have been in, in the section I read, that would have been when people could work on the farm. And some people mm -hmm. still do like they work on the farm full time, mm -hmm. 
-hmm. But like, I think more in 2003, there was more people on the farm. So maybe like now the wife has an off farm job or like someone has another job. Um, and that was like way more common or that was way less common in 2003, like more, you would just be on the farm. So like BSC also changed the industry so that, and people were su supplementing their farming with an oil patch job. Mm -hmm. so there's mm -hmm. definitely, like I know farmers who work in the, who've worked in the oil patch or they're like part-time oil patch or, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, but it was intentional. Well, and it's in some ways, and you may have come across this in your journalism that there is some tension between some farmers and oil and gas companies because of the abandoned oil wells and stuff. We've written so, about that a lot. My car, mm -hmm. uh, my coworker has actually written about it more than me, but we have written about the abandoned oil wells. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Um, I see a question from Allie Bryant. Hello, Allie. Thank you for joining us. She says, I'd love to know how your experience of writing fiction was different from your experience writing poetry and journalism. Oh, that's a good question. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, I really feel very fortunate to be a genre hopper. It is very good because if I get sick or have problems with one genre, I just hop to the other. And journalism is my day job. So that helps too. Um, so writing poetry is completely different for me. I either just like sit down and have an idea that I write and then I write a poem. I write it all by hand and then mm. I just let it sit in a notebook for a while. Or if I'm thinking about like a series that I'm working on, then I write those. And like right now I'm working on a series of children's literature heroines, but like revised. So like what they're like when they get old. So I just kind of work on one at a time. And so that's just kind of, it's more sporadic. Mm -hmm. um, with fiction, when I write fiction, um, Mad Cow, Ali and I have actually talked about this. So Mad Cow was really, I had, when I plotted it, I had a list of like events I wanted to happen. And then I just sort of wrote through. And when I edited it, I took some of them out. And I just kind of, that was how I plotted the book. Um, what I'm writing now, I'm just going. I don't really, all in my head, I'm just I sort of have some ideas, but I haven't even written an outline for it, which is completely different for me. It's a new experience, but mm -hmm. I've only written three novels. One novel is the desk novel, but, and journalism is just like, you have the structure sometimes, but you just kind of plug it in. Um, one thing that journalism really helps, and I've talked to a lot of people there, like, you're a journalist, so you're a journalist, you have to meet a deadline, you have to sit down, you have to get the story done. So the idea of sitting down and writing 500 words or a thousand words, usually when I sit down to write um, fiction, I'll like working on a novel, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to get 500. And then I usually go to a thousand because you're just used to like having to put it out there. Um, writing Mad Cow, I think, and I'm not having this problem with what I'm working on now because I feel like I can do it. Writing Mad Cow, the idea of that I had to make it up was scary, which is why I think I needed the outline. Hmm. But, um, and someone had, someone post, like, said to me that the fic, the poetry does show up in Mad Cow because they said that there's a ton of metaphors. So, which again, wasn't mm -hmm. something intentional, but the training as a poet might have helped in there with imagery and metaphor and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, at one point, I thought I was never going to write another poem, but mm -hmm. that's not true. So, <laughs> yeah, I just uh, do whatever and see what I what I can can do. Like I just, mm -hmm. I have no desire to write a play at this time, but I really just like playing with different forms. And usually, the story tells me what form it will be in. 
Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, this is an essay. Okay, this is a poem. Mm. Okay, this is going to be a longer piece of fiction. Okay, this is a short piece of fiction. So, mm. yeah. right. How do you find the time to write? You know, your fiction and your poetry when you have a day job. <laughs> like, when do you write? Um, I usually try and write first thing in the morning or pretty early in the morning, and sometimes on weekends. Um, my day job. I worked from home before the pandemic and it's a lot of like phone somebody or wait for a phone call or that kind of thing. Um, My boss is also really flexible. So he's just kind of like when things come in kind of thing. Um, So yeah, I just sort of carve out those little bits. And I think that's also what journalism has taught me is how to carve out little bits of time. Mm. So I just have to kind of, that's how I I end up doing it. And Mm -hmm. a poem yeah a poem for me isn't like a huge um that's more like kind of a scrawl like a doodle like right kind of and then I'll sit down and do but I I also often take some time I don't write at night at all like I'm not a night writer Hmm. Um, so usually like one of the things I think that works best for me is to write a little bit before I worked when my brain is still not tired because my brain shuts off at like four yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people can relate to that, especially right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, it's like more like 3.30 now, but. <laughs> um, Cami Ryan says the imagery was really strong, but I may be biased. I feel like I was home reading it. So that's a really nice comment. Uh, and also, do you have any quirky rituals that go with writing poetry and fiction? Um, okay, so writing poetry, I. I don't understand, like, I know people write poems on computers and just type them into a computer, but that's not how I write poems. I have to write them by hand mm-hmm. and then I let them sit and then I type them in the computer and then we'll play with how it looks on the computer. But I write all my poetry by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things when I'm working um, for, I did this with my third book and then it continued with Mad Cow and it's continuing with the new work I'm working on. Um, I get like a little personal object. And then sometimes when I'm having a rough time, I just look at it. So I'm going to see. Is that your writing desk right there? Is that where you write? Yeah, this is my office. So I was really, yes, this is my actual office space. But I didn't write Mad Cow in here because this was uh, where I was living in a different house. But so when I wrote the biography of the Sikh civil rights activist, I bought myself this Ganesh statue. Hmm. Oh, where is it? It's hard to, yeah, there we go. (laughs) So I bought it, and then I just kind of like put it on my desk or something where I could see it and sort of like when I was thinking of something, like I just look, stare at it a lot Hmm. to kind of help. Um, So my cow is downstairs, but I did have cows. And Hmm. I had like a soundtrack. Like for this one, I had a lot of... um, Listen to a lot of Ravi Shankar, the Slumdog Millionaire soundtrack, some other Indian stuff. Um, and I had a whole playlist that I listened to for Mad Cow. The one song that I listened to the most, like if I, if someone said the theme song of Mad Cow, it would be um, a song called I'm In by Radney Foster, which my friend actually sent me on a CD in 2003. So, oh, yeah, like, that's really interesting. Yeah, so... For the new book, I I just ordered my object, and um, my song is Belly Dancer, Snake Charmer by Bass Nectar. Wow. Yeah. 
Now, is this is this part of is this sort of like the writing advice that you give to the teens when you would when you were teaching? Is this would you tell people to do this or you just kind of gravitated towards it? I just came up with this at one point and then uh, the writer Trina Moyles, she really liked it. And I think she um, one time got an object and it's just kind of like after you finish the book, then you still have the object and you're like, okay. Um, and the the music helps you. Like when you put on music, you're like, okay, I'm in this space now. This is the, but like um, my partner was really <laughs> hated parts of listening of Mad Cow because I was <laughs> like Nia Twain and like, <laughs> like Keith Urban. And he was like, oh God, like just make it stop. Um, <laughs> and I, I pitched, I pitched, unfortunately to get picked up, but I pitched um, uh, writing a book about the movie Stand By Me. Hmm. So I pitched it, but then she, the the publisher was like, uh, no, but I already <laughs> had my object picked out. <laughs> <laughs> so it happens near the beginning of the writing process, the picking of the object. Okay. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Did, did you guys hear that ding or is that just me? Um, I just got a text. My friend just texted me because I guess she forgot I was doing this. <laughs> oh, okay. Ha! I was like, is that a sign from Jason that it's a, no, we still have five minutes. We still have no, five it's minutes. my friend. I'll have to phone her after. <laughs> yeah, no, that's all good. It's all good. Um, can I just tell you one of my, one of the characters that I was fascinated by in your book, my, probably my favorite character, even though it's a minor one, was Marianne, the romance writer. Um because I loved picturing her writing these romance novels in a purple house. Do, can you, is there, do you know a Marianne? Do you have inspiration you, for her? I can tell you the inspiration for Marianne, like really easily. <laughs> um, did you ever watch like the Sybil, the show that Sybil Shepherd was on that was just called Sybil? I remember it. I remember yeah. it. Yeah. It was Marianne played by Christine Baranski. Oh yes. <laughs> And she drank all the time. And mm. I really loved that character. And I was like, I'm just going to stick her in my book. And so there's also, so I just, that's where the inspiration for Marianne came from. Oh. Um, Marianne's dog is a Boston Terrier named Henry, um, who is an actual dog. That's my friend's dog. <laughs> oh, cute. <laughs> yeah, she posted when she was reading the book, like she read the, um, the manuscript, but when she actually read the book, she posted a picture of her reading the book with Henry and then like page 90 Henry appears on. So she had Henry hit the fictional Henry. Nice. Yeah. Um, I also will say that your character Booger, I know a lot of Boogers. I have a lot of Boogers in my life. There's a lot of Boogers in Alberta. I mm -hmm. think we can spot Boogers on the highway. Mm -hmm. So that's something that you guys need to look out for when you read this book. He appears almost at the very beginning. So <laughs> everyone take a look out for Booger, another favorite character. I'm sure he'll become. Um, can you tell us just a little bit? I know we're, we're, we're sort of running out of time here. But can you tell us how your marketing plan has changed for this book um, based on what your original plans were and what you're doing now to promote it based on the pandemic? Okay, so the original plan was that I would launch at Glass Bookshop in Edmonton, and then I was going to go to, the week later, I was going to go to Calgary, do a reading at Shelf Life. Um, <clears throat> then I was going to go, at the end of the month, go to McNally Robinson in Saskatoon and do a launch there. And then I was going to go to Vancouver and do a reading at the Real Vancouver Writers Series, and I was going to be in the lineup there. 
So that was supposed to all happen in May and June. So that did not happen. Um, it pretty much like Glass Bookshop does not have their physical location that they had anymore. They closed that location. Mm. But they closed it as soon as the pandemic, like pretty close to when the pandemic started. So pretty much what um, I was like, well, I'm going to have to cancel my tours. So I just canceled like one of the things, like I think in Saskatoon, the events desk wasn't even open. So I couldn't even cancel my own. <laughs> like, no. Actually, if I every once in a while, I Google myself just to see if there's been any like new information and that launch still comes up and I feel a little. <laughs> but so what actually happened <clears throat> is um, I ended up doing a lot of uh, different um, things through social media, like uh, CBC Edmonton was talking about how writers or like how bands and musicians have been affected. And my friend said, well, what about writers? My friend's book came out. And I said, I'd, yeah, I'd be happy to do an interview. And then they emailed me and I did um, an interview with them. And then I just kept on reaching out. So I was like, yeah, I'm doing like my friend, Lauren Carter, who's a friend from Manitoba said, I'm doing a reading series. I know you have a book coming out. Do you want to be in the reading series? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, that's how we'll do your launch. We'll, we'll do your launch and you'll, you'll do with a, like read with this other person, Joel Robert Ferguson, a poet, and then we'll have a conversation. And um, so I've been kind of advertising my stuff on my Instagram and on my Facebook and emailing people. And um, what also happened that was really nice was uh, just kind of, I told a lot of people to buy it at Glass Bookshop, which is the Edmonton Independent. And the Glass Bookshop started like, um, kind of featuring me as well. So they featured it as like new book coming out. It became a bestseller at their store, which was really, cause I awesome. sent people there to buy it. Um, so it's been a lot of word of mouth. Um, what was really neat, I think that wouldn't have happened, like just if it had just been like me going on tour was people um, taking photos of the book and saying like, I got a copy and sending me the photo, which is something mm. different that I saw. I have mailed out books to people and signed them because I haven't gotten to do a signing. Um, I have heard like from people who got it and the store in Saskatoon got it and people, people got it there and um, read it there. So it's been, it's been really like different, but, mm -hmm. but interesting. Um, and it's been really like, I think having a strong community of writers on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram has been really helpful. Um, also to talk with the other writers who are going through this, who, who missed their launches. Um, and something cool things have happened to like the Vancouver writers series. So they couldn't obviously have a physical Vancouver writers series. I lived in Vancouver for two and a half years. Um, mm -hmm. So they, we did like crowdcast, which what happens is that you can have a host and then you can turn the camera. So it, it broadcasts like different people's houses. So they had like six readers and it like showed our houses, like it would go from one person's, you know, apartment to another person's. And then everyone's in the oh. chat chatting. So you're reading and I was reading and then the camera cut off. And then, so people was talking, they're like, what happened? What happened? <laughs> but it actually felt like interactive and you felt like, like your friends were there, your audience was there. Mm -hmm. And so it's just been, it's been a really different experience, but, um, it's been really, uh, I think people have also been 
there's part of you that's like conflicted about like, should I be talking about my book? Should I be promoting your my book? Like there's all these horrible things happening, but I think people are also just like really supportive and um, you know, if they can read our reading or they want to get the book and they want to talk about it and they want to celebrate it, which is really nice. So mm -hmm. yeah, I can't say that I really had like a marketing plan. It's just that things did change and uh the luck of them changing is just having people asking to do things and um, promoting the book. And I had some different things happen. Like um, I can't remember what month that is. Maybe it was May or June. I was asked to do for the university of Calgary's like um, extension, like moderate five talks on agriculture. I was just like, what? Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it seems like you have this niche knowledge, right? That everyone clearly wants and needs. Well, it's, it, yeah, it's been, it's been um, pretty special to um, be able to, you know, talk about agriculture, like to talk about BSC and agriculture, but also to talk about like what's happening in agriculture now, because mm -hmm. it's very important and it's very, it's very important to me. And it's just very important to, it should be very important to all of us. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I, Obviously, do you have other passions besides agriculture? I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, so writing at this point. I'm writing a very urban book to go with my oh. very rural book. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you don't want to be pigeonholed, right? You, you know about other topics as well, but. Yeah. And a lot about agriculture specifically too. <laughs> um, well, this this has been really interesting, Alexis. Thank you so much. Um, I want to thank all of you for attending tonight, and uh, for all of you who are watching this after the fact. Um, just a reminder that Alexis's book is out there for sale. Mad Cow. If you're in Calgary, Shelf Life has copies. There it is. If you're in Edmonton, you can order it from Glass Bookshop um, or your local favorite indie, wherever. Um, but it's such a good read and you'll just fall in love with these characters. I guarantee it. Um, I, think, I think that's it. I think we're, I don't see any other questions coming up, so we're probably good. But, and do you have any, any last words, Alexis? Well, just thank everyone who's, who watched or who is, you know, who's watching this later and thank you so much for your thoughtful questions and your enthusiasm for the book Anne. and uh thank oh. you for making me ramble about agriculture <laughs> I, I, I found it really fascinating I'll be completely honest it's like it's something I don't know anything about and I loved everything like it's just really really fascinating actually I, I was gonna ask you before we end is there anything that you would like us to know or keep in mind or remember about agriculture or farmers or anything that we should be doing to help support them right now? What are your kind of oh, last thoughts? That's a tough question. I think it would just be like, um, buy yeah, local. Um, yeah, well, that's, that's complicated too, but yeah, generally buy local if you can. Um, yeah. And just try and learn more about agriculture. Just be, kind of critical and skeptical of what you're watching. Like there's a lot mm -hmm. of stuff on Netflix that's not necessarily, like there's a lot of misinformation about there with agriculture. Mm -hmm. So you just need to go into it with an open mind and with some scientific inquiry. It's really, mm -hmm. it's really complicated. Like our food system is really complicated and a lot of people don't understand about it, understand it. And it's going to be like, there's, 
the head of the Canadian Cattlemen's um, or president right now is saying like, one thing is that people are thinking about their food and where it comes from and how important it is. And I mean, in Canada, we are very lucky to that we have safe, affordable, nutritious food. Like <laughs> I did some other stories about, um, you know, what's happening in some other countries around food security and food and people can't get it. The prices have like gone up. There are mm. farmers can't get their food to market. It's just, there's a lot of stuff and, you know, we don't even know about that kind of stuff and we're not thinking about it, but like our mm-hmm. farmers have during this pandemic, our farmers have delivered. <laughs> 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 They're working really Yay, farmers. Hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's like shopping at farmers markets. Like, is that, is that a good thing to do generally like shopping at the farmers? Okay. Yeah. That's good advice. Just that's something that we should all take home with us. <laughs> Shop at farmers markets. That's a good thing. Thanks so much, Mel. Thank you. This was really fun.